0: A lot of people do call me Ollie, like my wife calls me Ollie. Um, Mm. But I don't feel it's very professional uh, these days. As I've got old and boring, I've decided that Oliver is more fitting, and it's a more Mm. uh, mature name. Has more gravitas. Yeah. yeah.
1: But you didn't add your middle name in there. Where's your middle name? Shouldn't it be like Oliver Tecumseh Crunk?
0: (laughs) Uh, Yeah, well, the the whole... the whole thing about names, actually, the reason I the reason I say it is because I got so teased by my about my middle name and my surname at school. When I first when I first went to uni, I just told everyone I was Ollie for like six months. I didn't tell anyone any other name because um, I got sick of just being ribbed for for my for my names because I stupidly think told my school friends what they were and I may have told you this before, but like one of them is Paul, so fairly normal, but then the other one is Camille, K A M I E L, which is the name of my Belgian great grandfather. But of course, school kids being school kids, decided to call me Camel. Yeah, so, sorry. I got like, yeah, no, it's funny. Looking back, it's funny. But like, I had six years of Camel. And I'm like, right, I'm not going to uni, and I'm not being called Camel for three years at university. So. Yeah.
2: Well, I think we just have the cold open right there. Excellent.
0: Yeah, all set. All set. Anyway,
2: I'm, I'm not. I'm not going to go into my middle names.
0: You think? Oh you- no, you're gonna have to now. He, he made it up
2: you think you were humiliated. Um,
3: (gasps) Come on, tell us.
2: So the Lockhart's um, one branch of the family, you were married with the McDonald's, right? So for a long time, they were known as the McDonald Lockhart's hyphenated. Um, I had a grandfather. My grandfather was Ronald (laughs) Lockhart. (laughs) (laughs) Ronald Gardner, Gardner Lockhart. And so Christopher Ronald, McDonald, not McDonald, not the Irish, the Scottish. yeah um, yes <laughs> wow. sorry You're welcome.
1: You're telling you, you people win, like, Chris. You're, your kids clowned around with you about that, so you're telling you, us, right?
0: Chris Chris, you, you win, you win. <laughs> and, and by the way, that's that's the code open right there. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yeah, The thing is, he couldn't even bring himself to say it all together, oh, no. right? Like, it's oh, you have to figure this out on your own.
3: Oh, God, that was good. <laughs> yeah.
2: Welcome to another episode of Consultants Saying Things. I am Chris Lockhart. Uh, we have a cast, uh, we have Oliver Crunk, we have Phil Yanoff, we have Wendy Keene, and we have special guest, um, Jonathan Gibbard. And Jonathan is a business unit director. I hope I have that right, right? For sustainable infrastructure and operations at an uh, energy company in the UK. Um, the topic today, and the reason John is here, right, is we want to talk about sustainability in the consulting workplace um, or workspace. Um opportunities maybe in in that area, what it actually means, um, and and all of the things that that fit around that, right? Um Oliver, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna pass it to you for a little bit more on this because um, I kind of think you know I know you've you've done a lot of thinking in this area more than I have. <laughs> so you know give give us give us the the two minute version on on this.
0: Yeah, no, no, and it's great that John joins us. So John and I uh, work together at the consultancy that uh, that's now become Ricardo um as, as you just sort of introduced john but um yeah no, for me this is is a really topical uh conversation and i just want this to become more of a mainstream topic right i mean i think the days of this becoming being some sort of niche thing that maybe a small group of people are aware of has to has to go we, this has got to be you know woven into everyday life for for us to really make meaningful change that that we need to make so look I uh, I'm really interested in um clearly I've got a whole bunch of thoughts on this topic and it's something I'm personally passionate about, but I I suppose I left the specialist space that John still lives in. And so that's why I was really keen to get John perhaps to share his thoughts on you know the current state of the sort of sustainability and ESG kind of consulting space and um and, and what is he uh yeah, you know, so John, what do you think is the kind of really important things that are happening in that world at the moment?
2: Well but actually before we do that, John, what does ESG stand for?
4: environmental case. social governance <laughs> so yeah um so whether we use that as a kind of top level discussion point or whether we use sustainability as a discussion point or Decarbonization or net zero, there are so many different things that are important, different organizations. And, and to answer Ollie's question, I think that's the, the really important thing here. So the world has really moved on over the last year in particular. And we are now seeing shareholder, stakeholder, consumer, staff pressure in a way that we have never seen before, and regulation to go. Alongside that, and obviously that's different in different countries, but maybe just think about the UK and Europe. You know, we've we've identified that there's a climate emergency. Uh, the European Commission, the UK government, and others have set this target of net zero by 2050, and we would term the next 10 years the kind of the the, the 10 years of implementation. People have actually got to start driving some projects forward. And so it's a really um, exciting time. Different companies are coming to talk to us about different agendas. So for some, it's decarbonisation, you know, linked to the massive spikes in electricity and gas that we have in Europe at the moment. And the you suffered in the US over over the winter. Um, For others, it's it's actually about shareholders saying this is really important for for our investment in this business. We want to make sure that this business exists in 15 years' time. Otherwise, we're going to take our money out. Um, uh, For some, it's that they won't get government contracts unless they have a plan for net zero. So in the UK, certain sizes of government contracts from this autumn will require the companies to submit their net zero plans alongside their tender. So it's getting really, really serious for organisations, and they're acting in a much more positive and progressive way than, than I've seen before. And, and so, it's a really interesting space for consultants to now now work in one that is very, very, very busy and full of really interesting, exciting projects.
2: Do you see? Do you see the? Um... The spurring of you know activity in this space is—is it, is it driven by sort of regulatory bodies, or is it really is there this upswell of sort of corporate responsibility or or something? Right, the, which way is driving the the adoption of some of these?
4: Yeah, that's a really good question, Chris. I think it, I think it's both, to be honest. You know, there's some um, chief executives, some investors who are now really attaching a kind of like, this is what we stand for narrative. Uh, There are others that are absolutely being driven by by regulation. And if you're working in the supply chain of one of those companies who have made a big commitment, you're now seeing that come down to you through their procurement teams. So, you know, a big supermarket in the UK, a big, big chain of supermarkets, you know, will be pushing that down to their suppliers. Tell me how you're going to reach net zero, because the top company can't reach net zero without everyone in their supply chain taking that action as well. So it really is kind of filtering, filtering down at that level.
3: I could also share on that too. I think there's been some, some really exciting developments that also show sort of the, the corporate perspective on this. The business roundtable, right, which the, the CEO is of fortune 500 companies in the States, I think it was in 2019, August 2019, they they changed the purpose of a corporation from from serving uh, shareholders to stakeholders, which I think is an epic sign. Um, Or we see CEOs like Larry Fink of BlackRock, you know, his messages to the CEOs have gotten more and more rigorous, you know, purpose of a corporation. And I think the last one was around, what are your plans for net zero? So also seeing those things too.
0: There's a really interesting observation, I think, that uh, I read recently that said investors investing in sort of sustainable and environmentally sound organisations have seen far better returns over the last few years um, than those than, you know, that, that, that aren't considering that. And it's interesting, even myself personally, I've gone and reviewed my pensions and investments and have made sure that they are environmentally uh, sound ones or ESG kind of compatible investments. Um, because I because I read the other day, actually, the biggest shift you can make, one of the biggest shifts you can make, aside from you know how you consume and what you drive and how many flights you take, is to make sure that your money, your investments, are aligned with your own ethical kind of values.
2: What What's the current state of I guess I don't know how you term it, right? Consultancy in this area. <laughs> what does it look like today? And you know, because because you know, I'll, I'll be honest. I haven't seen a, a sustainability practice in in some of these large companies that we we talk about frequently with all the big acronyms. I'm sure they're there, right? Um but you know if you're if you're pitching a client, you don't always have the sustainability guys in there, right? yeah, along with, uh, with you. So what's the state of of that now?
0: I mean, i'll I'll just answer this one quickly on behalf of the big four organization that I used to work for, and let's just say that the sustainability unit is one of the fastest growing. Units in that firm, and what was really interesting is I was catching up with um, one of my intake into the experienced hires induction program from a few years ago, and I was catching up with her, and she was going. She was ex um, financial regulatory body, and she came into the firm and was doing financial regulations consulting. And last time we caught up, she said what's well, really exciting. I'm now moving into sustainability division, and so are lots of other people because. I think the firm has perhaps realized that the financial regulation wave has perhaps passed, and that's where a lot of their money was being made. And they've now looking to the future, and they now realize that actually, you know, the whole ESG space is going to be, is massive already and will increasingly get, get larger. But, so that's the kind of big firm perspective, but I'm really interested in John's kind of take.
4: Yeah, I guess there's lots of ways I could answer that, that Chris's question, and so maybe I'll give give it a range of different examples. So, um, you know, a lot of companies didn't hire um, during the whole of the COVID period. Um, we grew from 500 to 650 over that period, um, so a massive increase in in our staff numbers. Um, we simultaneously have seen the number of incoming inquiries really increase. Um, The number of people, you know, attending webinars and marketing events um, really increase. Um, We've seen the value of the salaries for the consultants with the specialist skills increase substantially as well. Um, You know, the, the kind of market rate. Um, We've seen the charge rate um, with clients increase. We've had clients coming to us to say, you know, we've tried three other organizations and they're all too busy. You know, do you have time to do our project? Um, We need it done really fast. (laughs) Um, So there's a number of indicators, which which I think are really interesting. And, you know, a lot of people, um, I think sadly, you know, don't necessarily love you know, what they do or the area that their organization works in. And, and, and here we have the benefit of of working on projects that, you know, are making a difference in the world. And so we have attracted people from other sectors um, into the organization, um, because actually they really want to work on an environmental project, not a defense project. And we're able to take Um, You know, people with complementary skill sets, you know, across lots of different areas like program management or sales or marketing. Um, And as Ollie knows, in the digital space as well, you know, who would have been working on all sorts of different projects and kind of really plug them into our organization and and really help them get up to speed with this agenda very quickly. Because, you know, there's there's great technical people in, in our organization, as there will be in other specialist providers like ourselves.
2: What what does what does a sustainable project look like if you're selling it to a client? What is what is it? What are you doing? It's not an IT roadmap, right? What, what does it look like?
4: I mean, it's very very different depending on on the type of project. So I'll give you again a couple of examples. So, um, yeah, thinking about a net net zero uh, project at the moment. So you know, establishing the organization's baseline. Uh, so, looking at their current carbon footprint, so that's kind of mathematical, you know, it involves lots of stakeholder engagement, it involves getting lots of data. Um, it then involves um, speaking to the stakeholders at senior level, both internally and maybe outside of the organization, understanding where they want to aim for. And then it involves technical engineering insight to look at the options. So you know, where do you want to get to as an organization? What is the, um, What are the assets you own? Um, where are your emissions coming from? Are they coming from the supply chain? Are they coming from transport? Are they coming from buildings? Are they coming from processes and manufacturing and looking at the different options? So it's really um, very interdisciplinary teams that we often need to answer that question because for that project, we'd be drawing transport experts. We'd be drawing engineers. Uh, We'd be drawing people who are good at kind of stakeholder engagement, workshopping, people who are good at kind of maths and and, and kind of putting this this footprint together and then kind of building that into an an answer. So that would be, you know, one example, Um, you know, and then a different example would be, you know, company X has maybe done some of that work themselves and now they want to move from feasibility to, you know, detailed uh, engineering, you know, Boots on the ground, digging up the ground, you know, putting in plant X or Y CHP, waste heat recovery, whatever it might be to, to kind of make that difference. And, you know, within that, even that project, you might need economic skills to build a really kind of tailored business case. You might look at um, the kind of future of, a, of the energy pricing of the energy market. So there's loads of different um, kind of very technical um, skills that are needed depending on the client's problem that, that we're trying to solve, essentially.
3: Are you also seeing more demand and helping clients with trying trying to help them think through? Um, I'm going to say strategy and embedding sustainability more, even to the extent that you help them maybe to recraft and reshape their product offerings in order to enable or sort of nudge their customers to be more sustainable.
4: You know, if you have a business model that is very carbon intensive and maybe there's new technologies that you can see coming down the line in 5, 10, 15 years, and you actually need to change your whole business model, then you're going to need to think from a circular economy perspective about how you how you do that. And that involves engaging with you know, your customers to work out how you can transform your, your whole business. So um, we're, we're talking to one organization who has a very carbon-intensive business at the moment, and they're exploring becoming a provider of energy services, you know, of, of renewables installation and, and other things like that as a future. And, and we're kind of looking at uh, that with them at the moment as a pilot so you, you can absolutely see how that kind of thinking is, is really requiring organisations to look at really fundamental changes and, you know the kind of Nokia example of going from you know trees and sawmills to mobile phones and and, and kind of now beyond so that
0: that's absolutely happening I think. I mean, it's It's been fascinating I think since the pandemic uh, I think, you know, people have been looking at new business ideas and I, my social feed, I don't know if it's just because of my preference of what I look at, but <laughs> I'm, almost inund- I'm almost inundated with these sort of circular economy type businesses, right? Like let's reduce packaging by sending you tablets for your cleaning products rather than shipping whole bottles or um, dishwasher tablets that are in, mm. you know, recyclable packaging or whatever whatever it might be, right? I think there's been a whole wave of new startup businesses. So you are you doing quite a lot of stuff with new smaller sort of startups as well as or is it largely the kind of large organizations that want to kind of change their sustainability footprint
4: yeah so the circular economy uh, kind of conversation is is maybe a bit further out for many organizations ollie it's it's uh, it's not where the focus of the activity is but there are quite some quite forward-thinking organizations and um you know, by by choice or, or, or kind of just by interest, the Scottish Government actually is, is, is kind of part of that agenda in particular. So we have a lot of circular economy related work in, in Scotland, both for smaller organisations that are funded by Scottish Government and the Scottish Government as a whole, which is is great that, that we have that that building track record in, in that area. And I think that will be a really expanding area because once you've done the The simple low hanging engineering projects and the other things, you know, how you get to net zero becomes increasingly complicated. You know what? You know, that is interesting.
2: I also find very interesting that I don't know if
1: this is good or bad. Phil hasn't said a word yet. (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm learning and keeping my dog from barking on you. No, I mean, yeah, I'm learning that bit, but I'm kind of curious, John, when you're working with companies, I mean, they're coming to you already motivated to make some sort of change. I'm kind of curious as to what is in their head, right? What are they trying to get done? You know, what, and, and quite frankly, where do they go to pay for this, right? I mean, what are they looking for in terms of sources or resources to solve these problems?
4: Yeah, see, great question. So, um, with energy prices rising as quickly as they are gas and electricity you know a lot of people are looking to to future proof their business against those increasing price rises so if you can make a 10 20 30 50% reduction in your energy consumption um you know that that makes a big difference to your to your bottom line so some are funding that way so you know it's a cap, capital expenditure that you know that they're, they're um they're, they're building over a, a multiple year payback um, you know, there are some great projects that can be done with very quick payback nowadays. Um, if you're you know, thinking of setting up a new factory or a new building, you know, you might be designing that in now from the outset. So instead of paying for a roof of some sort, you know, your, your solar PV tiles are your roof. Um, mm-hmm. Or, you know, you're building a car park and you put a cover- roof covering on it and put solar PV on it. And, you know, that gives you a, a kind of source of electricity. Um for others, it will be, you know, an immediate concern that they're going to lose business. So they have to invest in order to stop, you know, company Y going to another provider that's more sustainable, because those mm. criteria are now becoming part of so many procurement processes uh yeah so that that's driving it does that answer your question phil i think there's there's no one answer i think it's
1: i think i don't think it is one answer but i just wondered what that market basket was because i mean in this this is you know to do this this is long-term thinking but something had to bring it into the near term otherwise we'll never find the money to make the change right so that's how i was trying to figure out what people are doing to do that and uh i don't know if i'm early on this chris but i'm kind of curious about people who are interested in being in this space or working in this space, you know, because I think there's a lot of people today who are in the consulting space who are probably saying, I'm working on this or I'm working on that, but I didn't really feel like I'm changing the world for the better. It sounds like there might be opportunity. You just described that you were getting bigger and that it was paying better than it had in the past. So it sounds like there's opportunities for people to get involved with this kind of consulting.
4: Absolutely, and I think it's uh, reflecting on your transferable skills you know, in essence, what do, what are you great at? What do you love doing? You know, we talk often about playing people in position in our organization. So, you know, um, having someone who loves running projects and programs, you know, allowing our technical people to focus on doing the technical work and and someone else is really good at bringing that all together and, and maybe being client facing. Or maybe it's um someone with sales skills, you know, who would rather change from, you selling a, a software or a product and would like to 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 sell consultancy or uh, or kind of associated products. So yeah, there's loads of different opportunities, and I think people starting with what what are they great at and and how is that transferable into our into our space and then and then have an have an open conversation with 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 us or another organization about about what that looks like.
3: I think there are ways to to specialize, as you're saying here, but just to go back to some of the things that we were discussing earlier, this also changes the way we think about business, right? I mean, just thinking about whether it's MBA school or university. I mean, it's like every... I mean, I know kids are learning more and more about sustainability younger and younger, but this closed loop design, right, and circular economy, that changes the way we look at things. So it's almost like everybody needs a layer of this. And um, Oliver, as, as you said right in the beginning, like this should ideally become mainstream thinking for everybody, not something sort of separate.
4: Definitely. And there's, um, you know, there's new technologies that we haven't covered. You know, hydrogen is going to be a massive thing in the UK and Europe based on the policies that we're seeing and the investment that we're seeing going into that. So if you're an engineering student coming through at the moment, you know, do do your dissertation, do your Project on on hydrogen, you know, you probably walk straight into a, a job with our, ourselves or one of the big engineering firms because you know that's a really useful skill set that you know lots of people don't have at the moment. So, um, you yeah, that's just one of, of probably a number of examples with kind of new technology and, and how that interfaces into the future challenges.
2: I'm going to serve the challenge function here.
4: <laughs>
2: um, aren't these? Isn't this just like? better efficiency, aren't they just efficiency plays? What's the sustainability part of it?
4: It's a good question. Um, I mean, it, it definitely is an efficiency play, but I guess you know one of the tenets of ESG is the UN Sustainable Development Goals. And we haven't talked about the social side of some of this. Mm. So, you know, a number of the UN Sustainable Development Goals are about poverty, about um diversity and inclusion, and equality, um, uh, and a number of other kind of themes about making sure that everyone in the world gets a kind of fair fair, fair shot at life. And actually, so the UN Sustainable Development Goal agenda can sit alongside many of these projects. You know, as you're reviewing your supply chain for its carbon impact, can you also simultaneously review it to make sure that there um, you know, isn't slavery going on within right. that supply chain? You know, can you design your processes and 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 maybe your supply chain to kind of reduce, you know, certain bad and comparable kind of things that, that you know have happened in the past in your in your supply chain? That's, I think, a really exciting part of the agenda that takes it away from just those efficiency savings and environmental. And we're again seeing that. I think coming forward, so, you know, a lot of organisations are interested in life cycle assessment, understanding the carbon impact of a product, but then you also have social life cycle assessment, where we try to understand some of the social impacts of a product. And whilst companies are more focused on the environmental side at the moment, and the carbon um, side of life cycle assessment, I think they will equally become more interested in the, in the social LCA
0: as well in the future. Playing on the challenge theme, Chris, I know one of the things I was going to talk to John about is how I've seen some ESG projects feel like greenwashing, right? It's been, oh, how can we make our corporate uh, annual report? You know, we've got to do an ESG section in it. How do we make that look as good as possible? So we'll, I don't know, we'll play with the numbers. We'll maybe try and outsource some of our emissions to our supply chain so that we can make ourselves look amazing. Like, Oh, you know, we've reduced our energy usage by 80%. We haven't really you've just actually just apportioned that to another part of your, you know, your, perhaps your, your, your organization. Talk to me a bit about, you know, how, how do you think there is still a fair amount of kind of greenwashing and kind of marketing and dressing up companies to look more ethical and, and sustainable than they really are? Or do you, do you, do you see most of the work in this space now being quite genuine about outcomes?
4: I think I see less of that than I did 10 years ago, probably. Um, definitely. Um, I think the way to, as a kind of consumer or an interested party or stakeholder the way to look at it is you know when you read through a a, a a report you know a company's annual report do you see kind of glossy projects which talk about a lot of um qualitative benefits but not quantitative benefits right. do you alongside that, those those projects see a clear um statement of ambition so net zero by 2030, net zero by 2040, net zero by 2050. You know, if, I, if I'm getting on my pedestal a little bit, I would say 2050 is too late. Yeah. So I'm really interested in organisations that are talking about 2030 and 2040, because I think that's a, better time scale to, to, to kind of work to. Um, so are they talking about how they reach a target by 2030, 2040, 2050? Do they have a plan that they're laying out to do that? Are they tracking progress on that on an annual basis, which kind of takes us into, into this kind of IT area and um, uh, you know, making sure that we're not only talking about those glossy projects, you know, and some of them are great, and some of them raise profile and help to um, share best practice amongst industries and sectors and, and peers. But you know, are we also looking at how we're we're transitioning to this low carbon future? And if a company is doing that in their annual report, then I say there's substance behind behind what they're doing. Um, if it's just about glossy PR photos and, and projects, then then maybe they're still on
1: the on the greenwash agenda.
2: Greenwashing. I love it. I
1: don't know. I mean, th- th- that was the thing of saying, right? Well, showing that I'm environmentally responsible does not mean printing my annual report on recycled paper. That's not it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then still sending it out to 10,000 people hard copy. Yeah.
4: yeah that's right. Yeah. Let's, let's, talk
2: about, let's talk about the metrics, right? Because we brought this up a few times. You know, how, how if I have a sustainability, Set of initiatives going on, and I've got highly paid, highly expertise, uh, high expertise consultants helping me implement those initiatives. How am I measuring? What are the KPIs associated with this type of consulting and this type of delivery? Because I mean, because the Gen X in me just says it's all about money, right? But maybe it's not, right? And I don't like are are the KPIs different in some way for a sustainability initiative?
4: I, I would hope that the, the kind of key metric that people are looking at is the carbon metric, the CO2 equivalent. So not just carbon, but picking up some of the other damaging fossil fuels like methane and, and others. So our, our organizations tracking that. Yeah, that should be the the kind of key KPI. Do you do you
2: give do you give your clients tools to help them measure this and track it? Or how does that work?
4: And um, yeah. So um, often we build bespoke tools for for clients around this. So you know, thinking in particular in the lifecycle area, you know, a, a company has a set of processes, you know, for creating a product with a number of different inputs. And the more complicated the the product is, the more inputs there will be. And um, you know, one uh, you know can can give the client a tool to think about. So Their existing products and future products off the back of that kind of consultancy. There are a number of providers of environmental management systems. You mm. know, some big IT companies um, who who are really helping organisations to collate all of that data. You know, then to be able to do activity off the back of it. So there's a big IT um, space around a number of those types of organisations. There's some newer startups in that area where people are looking particularly particular at kind of um, trying to work out emissions related to supply chain where you don't have the carbon numbers and they're difficult to create, but maybe you've got some financial metrics and you can start trying to make some assumptions and therefore create a carbon footprint um, out of that. So yeah, there's a number of Uh, of, of metrics of kind of it plays here of data collection plays that are really important
1: as people kind of track their progress
2: so i can see i can see the um right the the sustainable consulting practice in pwc or whatever right um going and helping clients um either for, for whatever the reason that they're doing it is right, but to to execute on these things to do whatever they need to do in the carbon space or or water, whatever it is. Um, it seems to me also, though, that the consulting firms themselves should be applying some of the sustainability ideas to their operations. Right. You know, and so I, I, I use PwC simply because, you know, they announced, right, well, all everyone can work from home forever. Um, around you know four hundred thousand employees or whatever it is around the world. Um, that seems like that's that. Well, I don't know how to take it exactly. Really, <laughs> I don't know if that's just like oh we're green or if it's you know um a cosplay or you know yeah. I'm not I'm not sure. But it seems like that type of activity that says you know what we're we're not just preaching it to our clients. We're practicing it ourselves, right?
4: I guess there's a. <laughs> being slightly controversial you know there's a question of is it more efficient for everyone to work in one heated air-conditioned office or is it more efficient for everyone to be at home heating their own homes mm. you know there is there is an environmental kind of point right off isn't it People, you know, people there is, this, don't
0: they? they just think oh no, no no traveling but hang on there's, there's yeah they like say it's 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 just Pushing up one and pushing down another, yeah. probably.
4: Which is why all of this is is often so complicated. I mean, there is a tra- a transportation saving, absolutely. Um, but then I think it's then about like what are the other things that are going on because you know if your partners are then flying first class to visit your clients on a regular basis
2: as, as you know, partners do you know
4: <laughs> as partners do and, um, Ollie has a lot of experience with this I'm sure um, <laughs> then, certainly not first class um, <laughs> then you know then your kind of CO2 quota that you saved in encouraging people not to come into the office gets burnt up very quickly with, with something like that as an example so you know we've got to see not just that work from home let's save that that transport emissions but what are the other practices these organizations are putting in place to discourage um you know short haul air flight and things like that
2: and and just to be perfectly cynical complete the the full cynical (laughs) cycle um closed loop cynical cycle uh
1: you know the
2: (laughs) the um you know I'll just pick on PwC again because we've been talking about them, right? But like, you know, Pete, I'm sure internally, right? This this initiative to have everyone work from home, it's like, great. Guess what, guys? We now don't have to heat the buildings and do all of this stuff. And we are now, look at how green we've become, right? When your point is they <laughs> really just shoved the problem off into another area that may actually be worse, right? Then, and, and I'm not suggesting that they have people work from home for sustainability reasons, but as an outcome of that, I, it seems like, you know, they've taken it off their books kind of thing. Right. And.
1: I mean, that's the, isn't that what that was all about? Because in yeah. truth now a third of their consultants are in giant RVs running across America, you know, going from campground to campground. Um, you know, so yeah, yeah. I, I'm, I'm not sure. I, I, I understand what you're saying, Chris. And the thing is, it, it, this is a non-trivial problem, right? We right. just don't know how this is going to be dealt with. We, we don't know what this is. I mean, you know, ideally, we'd all be packed into cities. We'd look like the Matrix, like everybody would be in a little tube, right? But that's just not what's going to happen. <laughs> the question is, what are, what are we going to do? And what can we do to kind of affect some good? And the thing is, there are some organizations that clearly, you know, I don't know. You know, I don't know why this vision came to me. I know this is going to resonate with you, Chris, but it reminds me of that uh, scene in Mad Men when Don Draper's out on a picnic with his family, and he takes a, a tin can and tosses it into the into the weeds, yep. and it's like, oh my god, today you look at that and you go, what the heck, right? I mean, it's like I can't even believe. But if you were alive in 1962, that's kind of what happened. <laughs> that is kind of what happened right i mean so i think that there's that point so as we think about how do we make ourselves responsible it's kind of These things are changing. You've got guys like John who are actually reaching into organizations, and we've had uh, laws and environmental programs, et cetera, come together in such a way that we're kind of getting used to this idea that maybe we ought to think about the world isn't an infinite resource. Maybe we ought to think about when we, I mean, you know, we talk about, you know, oliver was talking about like making technology last right i mean buying stuff and i was like oh my god i've got four ipads sitting here on my desk i mean (laughs) how many does one person need and what is where does it go next where am i and i'm planning on buying another one what did you know what am i going to do with the three that are sitting here right kind of thing but i i think this is a great moment for us to kind of get that and sort of think about it and obviously in these big organizations, it's a big lever, right? I mean, if we can make some changes there, it doesn't—the the knob doesn't have to be turned a lot in order to make a big difference.
3: In trade-offs aside, um, to some extent, I think it's—it's it's really good that these things are intertwined so i invest in sustainability i also get efficiency and cost savings or i get to secure my supply chain or i have a whole new set of customers and products and you know markets available to me because we're at least sort of playing on the human motivation and I think, you know, again, trade-offs and greenwashing aside, the environment doesn't care why we do it. It just cares that we do it. And I think there's a a bigger picture there that if we can leverage this for our benefit, I think we're going to maybe get a lot further
2: in the end. I think the opportunity here for the average cat on the ground, right, is, you know, if if you are a consultant and you're used to delivering IT strategy or Whatever, right? Application rationalization. Who cares, right? You're you're used to doing those sorts of things that are big, complex, you know, uh, types of engagements. And I think if you had that interest, this is a place where you could apply that type of thinking because of the complexity of the things that we're talking about. Right? It's it's not just. Everyone work from home, right? It's um, right. yeah, you know, and we'll call it a success for our, you know, our our energy usage. It's a
0: system of systems problem, right? Systems, systems yeah. right? And I, I think, yeah.
2: I think architects might be actually really well positioned to, um, <laughs> to be in this space. <laughs> um, but you know what, I, John, we'll give you the final thought here on on this. Um, just, and if you want to plug anything, you can plug it.
4: It's all right. So, so I guess I'd pick up on that. You know, what can the average cat on the ground piece do? Um, you know, if you're a consultant in an organisation, whatever your role as a consultant, is there an angle for you to think about how your project helps this organisation be more sustainable? You may have never addressed that before in your IT strategy um, or your business improvement project or whatever it might be, but now's the time to explore that with that organization and look if you can see some wider benefit than just the kind of the, the headline objective that you're going after. And I think if you can do that, you know, that's brilliant for the world full stop and brilliant, brilliant for that organization full stop. But in that way, you can also start to build this kind of wider experience that you've got and and you know you'll make yourself more valuable, um, you know, with a with the future that you've got in that area or with a change into a another organization like Ricardo. And and I guess if anyone is, you know been motivated by this conversation and thinks now's the time for me to change sector to do something a little bit different and then i would love to hear from people
2: and where would they go to um get in touch with you john
4: they would come to our website and get in touch with one of our recruitment team and ask for me specifically in in doing that and we're lovely to have a chat
2: ricardo energy and environment is that correct name that's correct chris yeah very good awesome
0: ricardo.com right i think so well, this this has this
2: has been fascinating. Listen, John, really appreciate you being here. Um, this this was a great conversation. Um, in an, in an area that, you know, I don't think a lot of consultants typically think about as a growth area for their career and and all that sort of stuff. So this is really great. Um, I think the other really important thing we learned is that um, we're going to call him Ollie from now on. <laughs> Um,
1: yes we are <laughs> yeah
0: it's i have many name. i have many names uh they, some of them aren't very nice but these these, these ones are fine <laughs> <laughs> that's
2: awesome well listen appreciate it uh thanks everybody um oliver phil wendy and john appreciate <laughs> it um everyone thank you for watching and don't forget to where is it subscribe up here. Is it up here is it over here wherever it is click the bell You can hear all our new stuff when it comes out.
1: Subscribe and like.
2: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Subscribe (laughs)
1: and like, subscribe (laughs) and like. All
3: right, listen, appreciate it, guys. We'll see everybody next time.